Hello, this is Janet Gallen welcoming you to Love Letters Live, episode number two with Stephen Taibbi, who you may recall from our last um, episode, talked about his journey as a um, recipient, survivor of two heart transplants. And just to bring you up to date, um, it was the day he was born that it was recognized that he had a problem. He was born with a hole in his heart. And Stephen, I have a question to you. Mm -hmm. You know, so much of what we accept in life, what's given to us and what we're used to is just our normal. I'm, I'm just guessing that as difficult as this whole journey must have been, it was your normal? Well, it was my normal. <clears throat> my, I had a regular normal, even though I wasn't thriving until I was five when they discovered that I had the problem <coughs> when I was five. And, and from the time I was five to forever, that's, that was my new normal. Okay, okay. Uh, you were right about it. I had I had three operations the day I was born for minor birth defects, but they didn't right. know about the heart then. Right. Now, last time we talked about, and I, had, I encourage everybody who has not yet seen this episode to go see it before you see this one because I wanted to keep this one separate. It is so complicated and so touching. This has to do with your having met the donor. And I have a question before that. What, what happened to the first transplant? Um, I had, um, they had to give me the, the I, was, I was at death's door waiting for that heart. Yeah. And, and um, they, they got an organ that was, had no matches for me as far as, um, enzymes they usually like to have six enzyme matches and i had zero zero or one i mean you know uh -huh. not enough and uh they didn't didn't expect it to last as long as it did but it took such good care of it, it lasted short of um 15 years by nine days my goodness so um that's why they were so happy to give me the second transplant because i had proved to them that i could take care of an organ and, and i'm guessing that it's Partly or largely a matter of luck that you find a match. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, most a lot of people don't. 2,000 people, uh, what is it? Uh, 2,000 people a year die waiting yeah. for an organ. And, and um, my, my match uh, was, was barely good enough. And um, I, my, my heart, my first heart, my first donated heart, um, I re was rejected by my body. That's yeah. what happened. I gathered that was true. I just didn't know. But that was a long time that you didn't expect. Okay. Now yeah. let's get to meeting your donor. Why my, second, you... my second heart transplant. Yeah. Yes. yes. Why don't you just tell this? Um, well, cause I lived in New York at the time. I now live in Tennessee. Uh, and uh, the, the organs in New York are very scarce. New York is number, uh, number 50 out of 50 for donation. So uh, they may be number 49 now, but I'm not sure, but it's, it's horrible. And, uh, my doctor said, you have to go to California to get your organ. So I flew out to California, had to get all the, go through all the rigmarole there. Um, they actually rejected me. I had to go back six months later. And, you know, I didn't have six months, but I did. And you that's know, not, I, flying isn't a problem when you have a heart condition? Yeah, it is. You just I have to said it was. <laughs> yeah, it's not great for you. <laughs> but, but not getting a heart is worse. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. Yeah, okay. So, so, uh, uh, you know, I went out to California and, um, and I, I got the transplant and, um, 
I wrote my letters. I always write our letters. And I wrote my letter to this family on the third or fourth day that I was in our apartment in LA. And um, they never answered it. Then I wrote one or two more letters. I forget how many letters I wrote them. Um, they never answered them. So I figured it'd be like the first donor, only 3% of donors of donor families respond to a letter and was, less than 1% meet, meet the donor. What was the tone of the letter? Just gratitude. You know, you're not allowed to say anything about yourself. Um, you, you can say your first name. You can't say where you live. You can't say anything about that can give away who you are. Oh. So uh, they, they uh, my, my arm is disappearing. So they, uh, you know, I, I wrote the letters thinking, well, they didn't want to respond. You know, it's a lot of families. It's enough that they gave the organs you know, of their loved ones. They've had enough pain. It's too painful for them. And right. I totally get that. And I think that's fine. And I thought that was going to be what this is. And then uh, um, One Legacy, which is the organ procurement organization in LA, which is probably the best OPO in the country, um, called me up and said, we have a letter for you. Oh, so they don't, oh, so they don't write directly to you. They write- They're not allowed to write directly to each uh, other. Yeah, you have to go to the OPO, yeah. the organ procurement organization. You have to write your letter, address it to them with the, with the, I am, this is who I am. I had this, and that, they know who you are. Right. And, and then they connect you to your donor. Um, so they must have they must have told them that we have letters for you. I don't. I never even asked about that. To be honest, that's a very interesting question, actually. So, um, so I they said, would you like to hear? And I was like, yeah, you know. And it took about oh gosh, at least three weeks for the letter to come, which was like horrible for me. It was this beautiful handwritten letter yeah. by by Susan Jacobo, who was. Um, David Jason Jacobo, my donor's mother. And uh, David was uh, 30, 36 or 37. I forget because my other daughter was 36 or 37. So I never, I can't, I confuse them. Um, and uh, it was beautifully hand, handwritten letter on lined paper. And I remember holding it to my chest and going, David, this is your mother. Your mother is here. Oh, you know. Oh. So. Um, oh, I was I was crying like a baby. I was so I was I was happy. I was sad. I mean, you know, she told me that he had a. Um, I felt later found out how she didn't say it in the letter, but she told me um, eventually that he died of a brain aneurysm as he walked in the door. He had just gotten divorced. He was living with his parents. As he walked into the door from coming home from work, um, he had the aneurysm in front of his mother, his father, and his sister, and. Um, and just fell to the floor. Just fell. To, he grabbed the wall and slid to the floor, and um, and they they think he they think he died that day. But according to also what the mother said, the hospital said he had a three percent chance of making it, but that he'd never be the same. And uh, a few days later, they um, they just uh, you know he he probably had he had to have a flat uh, EEG, so you know brain waves. Right. So well, um, what is that? What does that mean? That if Electro, he electroencephalogram, electroencephalogram, I think it is, and it's read your brain waves, and you know, some people don't understand, and this is why I dislike the term life support so much. Life support is true if you're alive and it's keeping you alive, but if you're brain dead, it's just a ventilator, because there's no life support once you're brain dead, and all death is brain death. Nobody understands that. 
So all death is brain death. You're not dead until your brain is dead. Um, that's why in the Middle Ages, when they'd um, use the guillotine, they'd pick up the head by the hair and curse at it, and the eyes would be open, the mouth would be moving uh, sometimes if they didn't get knocked out by the by the uh, by the decapitation. I mean, it's really anyway. So because I used to, you know, be it, uh, the vice president of Transplant Speakers International, I really looked into brain death, you know, because brain well, death is so badly explained. You know, making a distinction, of course, between you know. Um, being on life support, is it prolonging life or is it prolonging death? Right, right. So if, it, if, you're, if you are brain dead and you're on, on a ventilator, right, all it's doing is keeping the organs viable. But necrosis, necrosis is starting to set in. If you keep somebody who's brain dead on, a, on, a, um, on life, on quote unquote life support for too long, they'll start, they'll start to turn to dust. So because, because you have died. You know, they're just keeping the organs perfused, so, you know, so they can be used. Um, but, you know, there was the hope when he was put on the ventilator that something could happen, he would live. You know, that's why, you know, I've been on ventilators many times. So when I've been on them, it was life support. Mm -hmm. You know, sometime in my life, it'll just be a ventilator. <laughs> you know, but that's just the way things are, you know. So uh, the, the family uh, told me about that he had uh, four children. Uh, that uh, his youngest was a baby at the time. And uh, one of my favorite photographs that I have of him is a, is a, is a um, composite of him with each one of his children. It's a really beautiful black and white photograph. I think you sent me that. I'm going to post it. Yes, I did send it to you. Well, so, so what happened then next after you were holding it to your heart and how did you get to the actual meeting and where did it take place? And Well, the OPOs are very worried about, there have been, there are times when, Members of donor families get very angry at the fact that their loved one is gone and that you've got their heart, especially the heart, for some reason. They don't have the, they don't have the trouble with the lungs and the kidneys and the livers as, as much as they do with people accepting that somebody else has the heart. So what? It's interesting. Yeah, so they're very, they're very worried about things like that. Actually, when I was um, working for Transplant Speakers, we were out in Hawaii and um, a, a fight almost broke out between the recipient and a brother of the of the donor family, uh, because he was so angry that his his brother his brother was dead and this guy was all he was so angry. I can uh, understand that. I can too. So the OPOs are very cautious about that. So first they wanted us; they wouldn't let us exchange phone numbers. I'm sorry, it's like 90 here today, <laughs> and um, they wouldn't let us exchange the phone numbers, but we did connect on Facebook. Oh. And so once we connected on Facebook, we could message and we decided to connect on Facebook and we could look at each other's pictures and things like that. Um, once we were on messaging a, a little while, I don't remember if it was Facebook or if it was just email. I, now I'm a little confused. It was seven years ago. Um, but um, once we started connecting that way, we decided uh, that we would, uh, um, that we would call each other. So we made a date, we called each other. It was wonderful. So by uh, now you knew where they lived, right? Yeah, now they knew that now they knew that their that their son went to a New Yorker, which the OPO was very worried about. And the fact that I was 60 at the time, 60, 61 at the time, and they didn't know how they'd react to that because he was in his 40s, or 30s. So what that I've got a question. So the fact that you were 61 yeah. had a significance I'm not going to guess why you say why. Well, the OPO thought that they might think that 
you know, they're giving their son's heart to an old guy. And you know? so that if you die, their son's heart dies. Right. Right. But, you know, hearts don't generally last that long. And I mean, it's really long the last 25 years for a heart, really long. Uh, the average is much lower than that, you know, but um, but people don't know those things. Why would, you know, why would you know that? You wouldn't know those well, things. That's what we're talking now. People are going to know a lot more. Right, right. It's true. But it's the same thing of like if um, if uh, my wife's a cancer nurse, she, uh, she's a, a chemo nurse. I mean, she, she knows things about cancer. I'll never know, you know, unless I get cancer, then I'll know those things. And that's the way things are, you know, but um, then I, I had I had to go out. I had to go out to L.A. Uh, I was going to do a show out in L.A. And um, I called the family and said, I'm going to be in L.A. And uh, they were like, yeah, you know, come on out. Good. So we drove, we, we, we uh, Ubered from, uh, from North Hollywood, not North Hollywood, from, from, um, with the hill, with the Beverly Hills. We, uh-huh. we Ubered from Beverly Hills. Our hotel was on the outskirts of Beverly Hills, not in the nicest area. And, um, and we went to La, La, well, I don't want to say their address. No, no, we don't. To, Go ahead. But you met them at their home? You went met to them home? at their home. And it's, it, it was hysterical because, um, you know, so so many cultures are so similar. You know, we're Italian. My wife and I are both both Italian, and uh, you know, we're used to the big family thing. And this is a this is a, a a Hispanic family, and it's the same thing. You know, big family, all you know, loving hugs, big family. So it was very familiar to us. But there were like I don't know, fifty people there. You know, forty people there. I mean, cousins and aunts and friends and you know, but everybody wanted to meet me because you know David was so loved, and yeah. uh, and it, it was like really wonderful. Have all these people there, you know, um, and they're all happy for you. And um, okay, so it's pandemic time. You're not allowed to grab them in hugs, right? Well, this was pre-pandemic, fortunately. Oh, you and said seven years. Ago. I'm sorry. Yes, it took okay. it, and uh, and there was lots of hugging, lots of tears, uh-huh. and my wife brought her stethoscope. That's what I want to get to. Mm-hmm. My wife, but I think I sent you the picture of the mother. I know, but I want everybody to hear. No, it. I, I'm saying, did I send that to you? I did, right? Yeah. So, the, um, so when it came, this was you're going to find this fascinating. When it came time for us to say we're going to listen to the heart, right? Which is. I got to be honest with you, it was a little freaky for me. Um, the, the only people who would listen to it were female. Isn't that interesting? You mentioned that, and I want to know what you make of that. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I mean, are the men, are the men too macho? Are the men afraid of having an emotional thing in front of other people? I have no idea what it was, but only women listened. So I, I'm curious about something. Is it possible... Like I have a picture of mother listening to your, her son's heart beat. That once beat in her. Pardon? That once beat in her. Oh yes, that too. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, I would guess for her, maybe it was saying he's here. He's here. Maybe for the men, it's saying he's gone. Well, I got to tell you, Susan, the mother Susan is one of the sweetest women I've ever Matt. She's just this sweetheart of a woman. And she's one of these people who's always happy. Now, when she was with me, she always had a smile on, but I could see underneath it, she was, you know, breaking. And of course she was, you know, um, it, it was very hard for me to see her, you know, I mean, I was happy to see her, but I was sad to see her, you know, but 
when when you know you can't it's it's a lot harder to listen to a heart with a stethoscope than most people realize. And once you once you get the beat, once you know you hear it. And I remember when the mother mother was moving it around, and then actually I was moving it around, and because I know where it is. And uh, and then she just went like this. She was just going. And that's that's what she did with this, uh-huh, with this uh-huh. little smile on her face, and her head was nodding up and down, and you know, and her head's here, and I'm right here, you know, and and it was it was just it was strange to be that close to these people when they're having these emotional reactions, you know, literally face to face with them. The daughter, who at the time had to be, I don't know, I can't get, she was somewhere between seven and eleven. I'm terrible about that. I can't tell those things, um, but. She was reluctant, and it was Daddy's heart. And yeah. when, and when she, um, when she heard it, when she finally got the beat, she had a hard time get picking it up. Uh-huh. But when she got it, her face was a kaleidoscope of emotions. It was just, it was just like a, a rotating kaleidoscope of emotions. It was very, you know, was, you know. But, but do, do they have a sense that you're going to take good care of their Daddy's heart? Oh yeah, they do. They know how I am. They've met me. Um, I can tell you that I was so at peace at that house. The 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 ex wife, uh, the ex wife and I were talking shortly after I came in, and mm-hmm. she said, um, "I just I you know she she said I hope you realize your family now." Oh, I was going to mention that. Yes, of course, right. And so and that's how they've treated me. We stay in touch. You know, um, actually. Um, Susan and I are planning to, to have a phone call soon. Uh, you know, it's uh, between the time difference and their work schedule and my work schedule, we, we have to kind of make dates to yeah. talk. You yeah. know, okay. I do sometimes just call the call, you know. But, well, this, uh, this, this worked out so profoundly well in so many ways. And, you know, I know that sometimes people say, you know, I feel like he had to die so I could live, but nobody died so that you could live. Right, that's one of the platitudes, yeah. Right, it, it, it's a tragedy that somebody died and there's a miracle that that death can save another life. Right, and 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 David was one of those donors who did more than, you know, normally it's, you know, two eyes, two lungs, a heart, um, liver, two kidneys, right? That's the normal, right? David sure. gave, gave much more than that. So I think he was also a tissue donor. So okay. he gave all his organs and he gave other things. And that's because but, he was young and healthy at the time of his passing. It's because that's what the OPO decided to do with him. You know, that but, he, I mean, they were, they were good. Yeah, every, everything was good. Uh, his heart is good. Can we talk about letters for a minute? Because, you know, I am about that at some level yes. of the time. And you, one of, the, one of the wonderful things about writing a letter of any kind is that there's no pressure as there would be in a phone call or in person for the recipient to respond right away. Right. People get to mull it over and they get to sit with it and they get to reply when they are ready. And so that's definitely one of the miracles that your letter brought. Well, that's what Susan did. She waited till she was ready. Right. Because it was well over a year since the last letter that I wrote her. And it, that could only be done through a letter. A phone call would be grotesquely intrusive. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and the thing is that when you're talking about letters, something that bothers me is that there are certain certain people who receive organs who aren't grateful enough. That that really ticks me off. And and they 
they go, I don't have to write a letter. You know, they feel like it was owed to them. And that really ticks me off. But most of the time, people don't write letters who are recipients because the letter can't be good enough. I understand that. They have it, to them. It has to be perfect. I my first letter was like that until one of the people in my organization yelled at me and said, "You're going to write a letter right now." He hung up. He goes, "When I call you back in 15 minutes, you better read me the letter." <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Which I needed that push because yeah. every letter I wrote, I was writing letters, but I was tearing up. You know, well, but that that is the advantage of writing letters. If you've said something that you can see was a big mistake, right? You can start over. You can't do that on a telephone call. Right. But now, what it was with me was it wasn't good enough. And then and so I want to say to all recipients who haven't written their letters, the donors deserve to know you're grateful. Oh, yes. It's yeah. like it's like they sent you a Christmas present. They deserve a thank you. So all you have to do is say, um, dear donor family, thank you so much for this precious gift. I promise you I will take care of it. You saved my life. I am eternally grateful Yours truly. Do you think sometimes people who have received an organ um, are afraid to reboot the pain? No, I, I think 90% of the time, maybe even more, it's that they're afraid the letter's not perfect enough. Okay, well, that's a good point. I'm glad you said all this. And you said that you wrote love letters all along, so you're, you're good with the power of letters. Yeah, but the first one I had to get kicked in the boot, you know, <laughs> so what? I had to get kicked in the boot because I was doing the same thing. I, it, I'd write a letter and I go, oh, this is awful. And I tear it up. And and it was this this, this uh, one of the guys from Transplant Speakers. And he said to me, no, it doesn't have to be perfect. They just they need to know that you're grateful. That's right. And what comes from the heart goes to the heart. Right. That's really so, true. Very so simple could, letter, the first letter. You could have a whole lifetime of writing wonderful love letters just to let people know how you're doing. And, you know, in general, a love letter is not about yourself. It's about the other guy, unless it's about yourself because of what the other guy did. So, well, you know, you know get to, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, any letter that you write, like just to keep the family up to, you know, snuff on what you're doing and how you're doing, it's kind of a love letter to them. Yes. Well, there is somebody who I write a love, love, love letter to now for 21 years, and that is my doctor. Oh, good. Every Christmas, she gets a letter telling her how grateful I am and telling her what I'm doing. Good. And I'm only doing it because she saved my life. So the love letter is about her success. Yes. And you mentioned the letter from the mother mm -hmm. of your donor being in beautiful handwriting. And I want to say, Handwriting is king. Mm -hmm. Every computer has Lucida Bright and Helvetica, I believe. Nobody has your handwriting. Right. There is something, there, I mean, there's a whole business of handwriting analysis, which is quite an art slash science. Anyway, I'm so glad you did this with me. Thank you so much. And I'm so glad to be back. Thank you. Say the name of your book again, please. Oh, it's so Grateful Guilt. Grateful Guilt Living in the Shadow of My Heart, available in bookstores, Amazon and in most um, audio formats like Google, like Google Books and Kindle and not Kindle, uh, uh, Apple and Nook and all those. Okay, and, and I have a thought, which I'm just gonna propose out loud right now. Um, I just read that it's your, you just celebrated your 30th wedding anniversary? 31. 31, well, I okay, even better. It feels and like 72 with the wind chill though. <laughs> 
And I'm just wondering if your wife would like to come do an episode with me, I would imagine she has a great deal to say that could reach people who are married to transplant survivors or people going through this that would be helpful. I'm sure she'd be happy to do that. So let's ask her. I'll ask her. I'll ask her. Yeah. And just get back to me. And if at any point in your life you want to come back and talk about something else, please do. So you want to do the show just with Rose, right? Pardon me? You want to do a show just with Rose? Yes. Okay. That's I'll, 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 I'll tell her that. And, okay. Uh, and let me know uh, what you said. Okay. I'll let you know. Okay? okay. Thank you, dear. Well, I look forward to a lifetime of friendship now that we've met. Yes. Me too. I, like I said, I wish we could go for coffee somewhere. We never know when that could be. Right. As you well know, you don't know what life brings. Yes. No, you don't. So I will hope for that myself someday. Thank you. Bye. Right, Bye-bye now.